Hello and welcome to the Movie Gang Podcast, your one-stop source for all your movie reviews and podcast format. I am joined this week by Ben Haworth. Hello, it's good to be back with uh, all the peoples, all except for Peter and the uh, other guy. We don't. Even, people can't even physically see who's on yet, but. We're, speaking of hiatuses, welcome back, Bobby Pike. Thanks, it's super nice to be here. I've missed you guys. <laughs> and we haven't missed you. And uh. also moving on, we have, no, I'm just kidding. And we also are joined back by the stalwarts, Trevor Flynn. Stalwarting around. Hi, everybody. Stalwarts. And Sarah Becker. Hi, everyone. I still have no life. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> is being on this podcast mean you have no life? I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm not upset by the prospects, but I am curious. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, uh, we'll say it's, it's one of the high points of my week. Truly, and, and, oh. a lot of fun. <laughs> you say that like it it's a bad of... thing. <laughs> I was about to say. I think, I think this is magical. What we do. I think I, so I, I as love... well. Yeah, this is why I get to run all these Twitter accounts, and there's all these creepy people that follow me on Twitter now that are you know, like, oh my god, porn bots! <laughs> so many porn right? bots what the on fuck Twitter. Are these things? What the yeah. fuck? And it's as soon as we got even like a minor amount of internet traffic, like they came out of they came out of like the ether, and now like my official account is like swelled with like a hundred plus like porn people. <laughs> it's like vaguely. It's like suddenly you become. You become popular on Twitter and suddenly XXX Aaron with like four E's and all of the, the, the dots on the E's are dicks and they're like following you. And that's like, what? what? So many eggplants. So why are many. everything, why is everything tagged with an eggplant? With that little like, <laughs> like emoji afterwards with the three dots. Oh yeah. For p- cum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just everywhere. I haven't seen that one. This is why this is why I want other people to run the Twitter account. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> well <laughs> we're joined we've gotten together this week to talk about Kubo and the Two Strings. Um, as you guys know, Kubo and the Two Strings is a claymation movie. What is it claymation? No. Stop motion. Oh Stop motion. Stop motion. Right. Fuck, okay, good. All right, the story... T- it's typically <laughs> <God>. a stop motion. <laughs> uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, stop motion, clay motion. I mean, I'm sure there's clay involved. Claymation in is part of stop motion, blah, blah, blah. Right, 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 right. We'll get into it later. Um, yeah, but 3D stop motion fantasy action adventure film following Kubo as he journeys to recover his father's armor as he's pursued by his nefarious grandfather and uh, and his aunts who are t- attempting to steal his other eye. And he is joined in this jet quest by the monkey who turns out to be his mom and the beetle who actually turns out to be his uh, spoilers dad. So it's a weird family dynamics there. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> and really more interested in kind of talking about the memories as it deals with kind of the mother's early on dementia and her fall in terms of dementia and actually having the end talk about like memories. It doesn't pass judgment on individuals without memories, but it says 
losing one's memories and just having good memories and having individuals like even if because it, it passes there at the end i love i love that thing when it has like the the grandfather loses his memories and the fact that they could fill him with good memories even though he had like some form of dementia was in a way making up and making him into a good man you are the sum of your memories which is scary if you're losing them like, <laughs> it has there's some scary yeah. implications in in the themes in this movie that there i wasn't a lot necessarily of okay with movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean that was that one was particularly favorite. I, I mean, well, no, I think you I can love tie that one into the whole storytelling thing. Like stories are memories, kind of. Yeah. No, yeah. I, well, yeah. I love this movie for that reason because I, I'm sort of fascinated by the idea of the stories that you tell. That's why I love that damn musical Hamilton that everyone shut up about, <laughs> including myself. It's all yeah. about um, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. That's how the play ends and. Uh, it's very true. It's this sort of similar thing of our story is more powerful than the truth in this sense. In a lot of ways, it's it's what it's about. And that in the truth, he was an evil, sort of uh, manipulative, cold-hearted person. But they kind of redeem him through the idea of storytelling at the end, which I find very fascinating. Why I think I forgive some plot issues and kind of love this movie because it thematically hit me right where I want it to. <laughs> And I just right. anything about stories or memories, I'm just going to instantly give it way too many points just because I love it. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing is like there is some I, I did find some thematic structural issues through the movie. I didn't really give a shit like all the way through because right. I, I, I did. Enjoy, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. It's funny, but like I did find myself like, you know, it's like last week, like I'm cherry picking all these moments out of Suicide Squad or Sausage Party being like, this is a piece of shit. And it has a lot of the same structural issues to Sausage Party in terms of its thematic delivery. But at the same time, I mean, n- n- not nearly as much. Don't, <laughs> don't everyone kill me at once. But um, but uh, uh, mm. But again, Hot. I'm falling apart, if you guys haven't noticed. Um, this train is off the rails. Woo, woo. The, we hear the Me personally, the as well as MGP as a whole. Um, <laughs> so, but the whole point is that uh, like when they're going through the story, it's like they're moving from one point to one point, and there's a, there's a shit ton of just like, you know, why did this happen? It's not because a character caused it to happen. It just happens. Like, they find themselves at this point. The monkey just knows they're here. They just run into the thing, or, or it just magically happens that it's going to guide him to the different parts of the armor, or they just decide to stop following the samurai and, <laughs> and fall, go to, the, like, their castle's fortress to fall into a trap just because, you know, plot conveniences. But I think that's I think that's the issue is like for me there's a lot of plot convenience but overall it's still a beautiful story that's strung together. Do you I think absolutely that the... agree. Go ahead. Sarah. Go ahead, Sarah. Well, just just I, I agree with what you said, Jack. The only problem that I had this with this movie were those you know plot conveniences that you talked about. It, it was it was very much it, it felt kind of choppy and jumpy, and I maybe wanted a little bit more backstory for some characters or more of why are we doing right. this from other characters. Right. But everything else was so great about the movie that it really didn't matter too much at the end of the day which is so which is so funny because like I talk about sausage party and I'm like and and I don't mean to draw a comparison between the two this for one you know there's not much comparison to be made but I mean they both have internal good structural points but at the point that like you know there's both structural issues and the adventure that they're going through but one is much superior to the other in terms of everything else not to mention you know how like how much work goes into that stop motion which is which is something that really bothered me because as I was watching it I was sitting there thinking man I was like man this needs to be like like just five percent less good so i keep remembering that it's stop motion <laughs> and not animation <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, like <laughs> 
like there was just moments where I was like, I was like, oh god, like this needs to be just a little less quality because then you you forget like that every frame is so like is just stressed over to such an insane extent. Yeah, they did you can kind of see from job. frame to frame the stop motion though. In there. Yeah. Well, you, you know, you could, and I think that's the thing is like when you realize that that all the water out there was like waves and stuff, and was like this like this this tenny film stuff that they put together and like waved about through all the scenes. It's just insane. Yeah. The thing I love about like, stop motion is how much texture they can shove into the film because of the medium that they're using using to create it. Because you I mean you don't get that same texture with regular animation but with the stop motion i mean just like the way they used the leaves when they created the boat and whatnot and it's just there were most like the the strings themselves with the hair and that sort of thing like the amount of texture that's utilized is really really cool and different from a lot of animation that's how you can really tell a big difference between stop motion and traditional animation which i really appreciate you can totally see the craftsmanship that went into creating it also, I think one thing that Like It does that's pretty amazing is they actually will print out every single expression. Like, there's it's 3D printed plastic, and they'll print out every single expression a character could possibly make, and even the movements in between said expression. And then they would just replace the head over and over and over again. So you get, like you said, uh, a clarity of detail whenever someone is crying. It feels so much more emotional, even than like there's some really incredible facial animation especially that pixar does but uh it's just on another level for me that that complexity of detail how much they think out every single motion and that's when it gets like kind of wrapped up into the production and it might lose some of the folks of it as an overall movie for me because it's just like i'm sitting there going like god every single thing took 50 days or something like that the <laughs> simplest right. little movement had so much care and attention put into it so it's tough to be like all right, but this doesn't work, this doesn't work, because I'm always in my brain thinking of that. Thanks, Jack. Jesus, Jack. Good, Good God, God, man. <laughs> Belching periods I, onto every statement. I, I, I mean, I just thought it was a good point, so like, I just wanted to... It's like in a form of appreciation, you know? It's the I mean, MGP seal of approval. your point. I mean, <laughs> the issue for me is that, like, and it's funny to me because, like, the, I always think of these as being super expensive, but this one actually wasn't. It purportedly has a production budget of just $60 million. Wow. Um, for a movie like this, especially, like, if they got Matthew McConaughey, which I, I, I imagine he must be, like, Charlize Theron and Matthew McConaughey and Rooney Mara and, oh, wow, Ray Fiennes, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, and, and George, George Takei. Takei. Like they must all be working for pennies if this movie only costed sixty million. Oh, for sure. I think they they do slash a lot of their their typical voice acting paycheck. They probably would get in order to be in this film for definitely get the sense. And it's unfortunate because Kubo doesn't making that much money, and Leica in general just doesn't make that much money. It's just they seem to make back enough budget to justify the next one, which is great. It means we get more Leica films, but it's just. I don't know why, why general audiences. I think maybe because Leica does have this darker tone than a Pixar film. Uh, this yeah. film ends with both parents This was dead. dark. This was dark. <laughs> yeah, Paranorman has... I haven't has seen a, any of their other films to this date. I've heard about them, like Paranorman. They're great. Uh, Paranorman is well, incredible. No, no, no. Let, me, let me just attack you before you say... Not, uh, not attack you, but wow. like, let me just ask you... Apologies. <laughs> wrong terminology. <laughs> but let me just suggest beforehand, why haven't you gone, Trevor? Is it just like you don't know about it or just like... 
I mean, I'll have seen it. I mean, it might have been just a period when I wasn't going to movies very much. Certainly not as much as I am now with you guys. But um, I, I think maybe it was just maybe the way it was marketed. Like, you know, we're used to seeing Pixar films, animated films for kids, and then there are the other animated films for kids. And I kind of that is know, a that is awful, a good point. But I, I do I put them in those two unless the trailer shows me what's going to be unique and different about it. And a lot of times and the trailer like, will just show you like the kitty humor, like the low right. kind of humor in those kind of movies. I think even this movie did a little bit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I thought this kind of showed up job like of... action. It was trying to be like a yeah, it's going to be an action yeah. animated movie. It felt like the trailers were going for that more than yeah, like, maybe, oh, mysticism yeah. or stuff. Like and that. also. I do need to say real quick, the action in this movie was fantastic. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> like, yeah. like, like when she was fighting like, her sister on the boat with like oh, the yeah. monkey was fighting the sister, I was just like, oh my god, this is better than like so many action movies. I know. That I was I've having seen. Avatar: The Last Airbender flashbacks. It was just it made me mm-hmm. so happy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, but I Except totally it was like animated and not the terrible like you know. To the show, not the not the movie. Yes. Oh no no no! God no God! I'm saying the show. <laughs> we do not speak God, of people. that here. <laughs> the movie has some of the worst action I've ever seen. Like don't it's amazing. <laughs> I love how that's like it's if it's the show or the movie, but like it's either the worst or the best action. It really seen. is. <laughs> it's either the worst characters or the best characters. It's, there's no. Right. I still actually. It was the never worst of time. It was movie. the best of times. Don't. I know it, that's the thing is that you know like part of me wants to see it just because I have heard it is don't. so fucking bad. I feel like I need it's to see painful. it. But it's 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 one of those things where you feel like I don't know like somebody is like shoving a porcupine up your asshole like i can't imagine anything worse than watching that movie no like seriously there are a couple movies that i just like are like you could not design something more painful to watch and i swear to god being a fan of the show and watching that movie is like tearing i don't know like wax strips and off like, your hairy nuts like it's just <laughs> nothing worse i heard two podcasts do like bad movie and they both said it was their worst movie they ever saw and they never even seen the show so like as a fan of the show it's even worse than that because like you're also thinking about how much great the show is and how bad the movie is. Oh, just don't do it. And how great the characters are and how, I mean, I, I truly think that it's terms of like having a rich, uh, like, cause even like you talk about Watchmen and that adaptation, that's an okay adaptation oh, yeah, totally. of some really good, it's, it's like a serviceable adaptation. So it can't help but be pretty good cause they're working pretty faithfully from source material. But this one is just, it just wrecks everything you love about it. And you love that show so much. <laughs> let's let's move on from that. Yes, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, about yeah. to say, did, did Kubo come from anything? Was this just an original story idea? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. It's totally anything. original. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. I don't even know that there's any sort of like, there's, there's definitely no. Yeah. There's, you know, this is the fun, fun thing about animated features is that they always come from nothing. Like it's just for whatever reason, people let, animated like creators run with whatever project they want i feel like this was this movie was the product of a bunch of people getting together and talking about different things they really like about japanese culture to an extent kind of oh yeah Uh, i definitely feel that as well and and the Mm -hmm. person who owns it uh travis knight and film knight they're rich like they're super rich and they basically do like as a passion project because Hmm. They that just love animation so much, and you're you're right in that sense. Where like they can do a movie that's not based on anything, or or not uh, um, have sort of a recognizable features to it, or, or be an adaptation, and just go out there and do the sixty million dollar film because it's okay if it loses some money in the long run. But I think they always kind of make back their money, but just not enough to be like the biggest studio on the planet or do Pixar level numbers or whatever. Hmm, cool. Okay, so yeah, I have I'm... a thing I'm curious go ahead, about. Ben. 
this film, like I said, has a lot of Japanese stuff. And there's one thing that was tough for me to say, and it's a, something I'm wondering about in terms of, um, and you guys as anime fans can talk about this too. How do you feel mm. about having Japanese characters voiced by white people mostly? I knew someone would bring this up. <laughs> it's I, weird. I, I was, I can I be honest with you, Ben? This yeah. was my next point on my rundown. <laughs> 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 and I, I, can I say for two seconds what I think? And this is, is this is this is purely an anime. Because I don't know where I stand, so I'm kind of curious where everyone else is. I'm My amazed. bit is that as a fan of like, because there's there's a huge dis- like there's a huge commotion in the anime community over dubs versus subs. I ca- I fall pretty solidly on the subs version, and that like even when I was watching um, Wolf Children and there's a pretty there's an excellent dub of it, I still watched it subbed because I prefer that version. But even outside of my like ivory tower of bullshit, <laughs> like. Yeah, I know you like that, right? Yeah, you know, um, of purism, or whatever you want to call it, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Even Subs even outside of, of that, time, I don't think you have to. Yeah, I admit that there are certain dubs out there that are really well done. A lot of the Ghibli stuff, a lot of like Full Metal Alchemist, and that's the thing is like coming from like the Ghibli dubs where like Shia LaBeouf is some character and and like that. Like good voice acting is really really is a skill, and so for me, like for that reason, like Japanese character expressed as with white voice actors doesn't really bother me but that just might be my background in anime but you know that's different because there obviously was a voice actor at one time that had the opportunity to portray that character as asian so (laughs) it's an entirely different subject matter it's it's different than saying like oh there wasn't asian american actors that weren't given this opportunity right it's sort of different than than like Right. I, I think it's I think it's entirely different than like the anime background like for like sub purposes where it's it's being translated from here but being that it's made on American soul, soil and that you know we're more directly responsible for the casting it becomes more of an issue right I guess it's more the case of if you're co-opting Japanese culture do you also have to have Japanese actors and I, I guess think that's that was, I don't know. that's something I want to get into um, but before we do I, I, I don't think the um, the whitewashing issue would even come to my mind as much if right. it wasn't part of a bigger trend. And then the fact that you had you did have Asian actors in the movie but in very minor roles like George Takei is uh is is kinda like part of that overall trend, you know, that make, <laughs> makes makes you kinda is it like in yeah. George Takei's contract uh, to say oh my now? Like, I, 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 right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean I was about to that say was his first goddamn line. <laughs> I was about to say, like, I mean, who the fuck is going to hire George Takei as a voice actor? I'm sorry. Right. I don't mean right. to say something weird to him. i just saying he has a very distinctive voice, and, like, it just he just seems an odd choice for that kind of role. Mm-hmm. It took me out Actually, of the you know, movie. I take that back. I retract that. I retract that whole statement. That's cool. <laughs> wow. Well, it, it took me out of the movie immediately. The moment, like, George Takei's voice came over yeah. the screen and it went, oh, my. And I'm like, oh, I totally immediately I was, I was pulled out of the, the wonder of the film because, really, this movie kept me engrossed from the very beginning. I was really invested in it. But the, the oh, my, George Takei voice kind of just pulled me right back out of it. And I was like, oh, that's George Takei. Let's focus on that for five minutes and kind of ignore what's actually happening in the movie because I need to focus on that voice. And that is kind of where voice acting has failed because the voice actor should not pull me out of the film. I didn't realize it was Matthew McConaughey until I finished the movie and watched the credits. And that's maybe because I didn't recognize his voice as well as I should have. But also I feel like that's a good sign of voice acting. I I shouldn't have been pulled out of it. And 
nothing against George Takei. He's amazing, and I love seeing him in things, and I love the throwback, and I love the bit, but at the same time, it does kind of remove you from the wonder of the movie and uh, kind of kind of prevents you from enjoying that full experience because it did it did pull me out of the action. I did not expect Matthew McConaughey to be one of the funniest parts of this movie. It was great! He was really funny. <laughs> he was really good. I was surprised at how good at comedy he was. He had a really yeah. good line delivery, so I thought. And and the fact I was just so surprised that he tied back into the plot. That was that was what mm-hmm. shocked me. Is like, and, and we really, really should have seen that one coming, right? We should have right. based upon seen like it. like like all like the dad so and mom yeah. humor. Yeah, exactly. After the fact, like all the dad and mom, it was really subtly done. Like, but it bothered me. Like, I was like, why are they waking up together like that? That seems really strange. Why is she doing her hair like that and talking to him like she's his son? What's going on here? Like, you know, because he's on a quest to find his father. Why the fuck is she on? She's just getting it on with the Beetle Man. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, and I like that turnaround too. That they there's a natural chemistry with them. That it, it even in forms they don't recognize each other or know who they are their inherent personality is still always going to be in love. And I thought that was really nice and sweet. Yeah. It's like, exactly. not like they find no. out and then they're like, I love you. It's like, it was before that. And like, oh, that's why we have such a connection. No, I think it's worth is, it weird, is it weird that I needed more payoff for their deaths, though? I felt oh, like quick. their deaths was, was very wanna, fucking abrupt. Yeah, I want to talk about that. See, I what, what troubles me more than anything is that we see like him, Kubo defeat one of the aunts, the last one. And I, it's it's I really like that scene the way it's cut. I just don't know what happens to his parents. Like, I I feel like we really needed a burial scene there because we we like for all we know he just kind of left them in the ruins of the fortress and then I don't know I I thought like if he had taken we- a moment to like bury his parents then the revenge part of the story would have started making more sense because he like chooses to forgiveness over revenge in the end. Like I mean, he does cut. I agree with that to some extent, like the anger. But I mean, I agree. I think like there's just needed there needs to be a lot more connective tissue there. I mean, I understand. I think everyone understood fundamentally that his parents were dead. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I got that. I I'll, I'll say this: the way it was shot made me think that something was going to happen that would bring them back. Right. Right. I, I, That's what I did think was happening. Yeah, it's like I never thought the Beetle character was dead. I could accept that Monkey was dead because we kind of premised from the beginning that, like, I can't be here that long and this form can only last for so long. So I could kind of. Like, and you saw her as the uh, charm again. Right. So, so, right. so Monkey being dead made sense, but I guess you only see one shot of Beetle's back being sliced by the sword. And you never see him again. So I guess I never really believed he was dead until Kubo's bringing the lanterns forward and he has two of them. And so, like, that was the first time I really accepted that, like, Beetle had actually died in that scene. But it never really drilled it home. And I guess I don't know whether that was intentional or not. Well, I think that's the thing for me is that, like, all the the heavy lifting, the emotional heavy lifting of this. I'm burping again. Uh, Okay. (laughs) The emotional heavy heavy lifting. lifting. Uh, fuck guys i'm really sorry i you know i i made some i made dinner just like a minute ago i had like a four-person dinner wine it was so good i'm just saying i'm just like (laughs) i'm all turned up out but anyways the the emotional heavy lifting of the story takes place with the mom and she is focused on doing everything and she's where all the emotional emotionality of the plot happens like the father is insanely secondary which i'm okay with 
but he is insanely secondary to the plot, which is interesting because I really, I, I mean, maybe this is just sexist of me, but I really wanted a mo- actually, I didn't, it didn't have to be the father, but I needed a moment where they raged a little bit more before they died, like the way they died. Like when he came out with four swords in his, in his hand and he yeah. like threw one and hit the sister, I was like ready for a moment where he like went badass and I don't need him yeah. to go badass. It could have been, it's not even a sexist thing. It could have been him or the monkey. I just needed them to rage a little bit more before they died. The way yeah, they died like, seemed very like, Ugh. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. They had I that one need... moment where they reconnected and they said the lines that they said when they first fell in love. And then that was it's, like, it. like you didn't get to see him remember so who he was. fucking brutal because she's like, you'll take care of him. And he's like, always. And then he gets stabbed in the back. Well, and you're like, yeah. what the fuck? I, <laughs> I just needed a moment to mourn Beatles loss. You know, it's like you never get that. You get that long shot of watching the monkey token broken in half which really mm-hmm. shows you, like, I mean, like Monkey's dead. Like, his mom's dead. You you get the weight of that emotional loss, but you never get that with his father. And the whole right. whole quest, the whole movie is about finding out who his father was and reclaiming his father's armor. But his father's actual death, we spent, right. like, no screen time with. So that was really the only moment of the film that I was just like, eh, you could kind of wallow in that loss a little bit more. You could have a lone shot of the body for five seconds before moving on to the next action exactly. scene. And that would have been enough closure. But they never did that. It was it was too fast. It doesn't feel like they just forgot either. For me, it feels conspicuously absent. It's almost as if like that thought was there, but the movie was so dark already that they yeah. just didn't want to go for that. And that, yeah, it, that what, if anything, uh, is exactly. probably going to drag the score down for me. Honestly, right, it did feel... It did feel intentional. It felt like it was a choice, but I think it was the wrong choice. I think they made a bad decision there. I think they should have held that moment well, longer. Can I be honest? I mean, I don't mean to judge. The, I mean, I agree with you guys that there's there is a scene fundamentally missing from this this slide up right here. So I will I'll, I'll score accordingly. But like for me, like it may have to be do something with that. Like they were going there and they were looking at this and they were test screening and they were just like, this shit is dark. <laughs> like Beatles I dead, so. stabbed in the back dot body was just a bridge too far. Because this movie is already insanely dark. But for you already a, for went there. You already had the like the moment where he gets stabbed in the back. Yeah, like, but the that difference is like, like like showing it in such a way of like just like showing him like do the same thing with his mother's like hair and the, like the barrel cord with like the thing. Like doing it that way was also. Why does he have three strings in the end? I'm just I don't know, whatever. But whatever. Because two um, strings are for his parents. Family. It's representative of the family. Oh, Kubo and it. the two strings. Sarah gets ah, it. I get I'm it. over here okay. with. The Shamison Wikipedia article up right now. <laughs> Make it me feel better. Sh- okay. <laughs> no, I think they could get away with like sitting on that moment a little longer because the ending is so saccharine. Not that it's bad. Don't jump on me because I don't think it's bad. It's just it's so warm and fuzzy. You know, we take this evil character and instead of defeating him, instead of destroying him, we make him human instead of immortal. And then we give him humanity by telling him memories of how he was a good person, even though all evidence contrary from the beginning of the movie is that he's a very, very bad man. But we make him human. I think that that's a good message to be sending to children, though. I mean, instead of, like, you know, if there's some big bad person out there and you know you need to stop them and revenge and whatever but then instead of completely destroying them you find a constructive way to 
get them to be a good person again. I thought that was, you know, kind of a problematic ending and kind of like a really moment. But like later on after I left, just thinking about that message, I think that was, you know, that was a good way of handling things. Oh, I think it's beautiful. I just think they could have really, like, instead of glossing over, over the deaths that happen, you can let the deaths be dark and let them be sad and let them be what they are. And then end with the saccharine ending and still not have the movie overall be too dark. I know it's a dark film for an animated children's movie, but I think they still could have, like, punched that moment home with actually letting you feel the loss of Monkey and Beetle and then still giving you that ending and have it balanced out at the end. Oh, I think we've kind of hit upon one of the one of the flaws in the movie for me. Besides its structure is there are some, like, weird kind of tone shifts and i think this is the epitome of that in this big movie, time is that kind of missing scene and it's yeah. not i mean I also think even at the beginning a, too i think i think there's also needs to be more explained as to i think there's something kind of beautiful but not told well about why the armor doesn't really matter at the end and essentially yeah that, you know, he doesn't yeah. it doesn't really save the day at all it's his parents and it's the the Shamison and it's the music and the natural skills he has. There's something kind of beautiful about that. For me, that maybe was a little part bit cliche, whole... like you know, it's, it was always inside you kind of thing. That's a little cliche, but it's still classic kind of monomyth storytelling. Which I mean, I, I think for. this is the same sort of thing. I need like like maybe like one percent more connective tissue in this movie. Like I needed one. I need one more line at the beginning that would set up the armor being unimportant. Like that's the thing, and I've it's with more than one theme in this movie. The themes are so beautiful. And you can tell all the right. ideas. Oh, yeah. There. Like, I can be an apologist for this movie um, like, and, and, and make up that connective tissue myself. Like, I can say, I think maybe the deal with the armor was, like, and maybe, Jack, you can back me up on this, that that's, like, mm-hmm. subverting, like, a really traditional Japanese kind of hero's revenge quest thing. Right. That it's not the armor in the end, but the Samusen. It's like storytelling it's itself exactly. rather than the traditional story. And that's Absolutely. a really meta powerful subversive thing but it just doesn't right. quite get you there i mean i think the issue is like from an anime perspective that, that me and trevor have and we're not japanese people obviously we don't live in japan but like for me like there is this powerful narrative that somebody on the staff understood and lifted of like this kind of rejection of traditional samurai culture that's definitely represented there at the end definitely like in Miyazaki Miyazaki does this all damn day because he Mm. hates the samurai more than anyone Mm -hmm. and it's definitely like continued like right here we see this rejection of like arms and armor for um, making the world a better place I mean this this movie is Miyazaki to a T (laughs) a little bit and I think that's probably where the theme comes from and is being lifted and from in terms of Japanese culture, because there's a lot of elements here. Okay, as long as we're in from... anime corner, I want to disagree with something you just said. Can I okay, go in? to town, bro? It's just that yeah, you yeah. said it's it's Miyazaki in a nutshell, and you'll probably agree with me anyway. But it, it's there's very one very important distinction, and that is that this movie, like, is set in and obsessed with Japanese culture, and Miyazaki, like, is obsessed with every other Japanese culture, issues correct. in an exotic right. setting because he's <laughs> yeah, like just... with a lot of the Japanese modern literature and stuff like they're afraid to focus on Japan in like the aftermath no. of World War II and everything. They're still exactly. kind of reassembling a modern identity. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to spitball here and go which, off on my rant. Which but makes it, which is like, funny. No, no, no. But I think, I think for instance, like when we're doing Japanese cultural appreciation, like it's way for me, at least like appropriating the Japanese culture is way more appropriate and okay because they appropriate our culture so much. And there's more of like a cultural exchange happening there. Right. I, was, and that I was, wanted was, to talk to you about that as well. Um, 
Maybe this isn't the forum for it. Never mind. I'll save this for the anime podcast. No, no, go ahead. No, 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 no go, go ahead. ahead. Talk Please. to me about it. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, this is well, good. Um, this, is, this is important to this movie. Okay. Well, I think this was something that I asked Trevor a couple of weeks ago about, actually. But uh, in my recent forays into anime, I've really noticed that most of the characters look very Western. Like, they Correct. have large, not brown eyes and all manner of unusual hair colors and so forth when the stereotype which i realize is not necessarily correct but um in, in it's well, not even a stereotype sarah japanese people are very ethnically homogenous it's just it's just genetics. okay it's i was just trying to find a right. politically correct way right. to say this but there's so yeah. few characters in japanese anime that actually look japanese yes. they all look western the, and there's I an insane there's that. an insane element to their culture where they are like they just are ethnically homogenous in terms of that they don't actually have a lot even for as much international travel as they support internally living in japan is a very difficult prospect so they don't they don't have a lot of people coming in and they don't have a lot of internal like i, I hate to use this term but crossbreeding mm -hmm. going on so they are ethnically homogenous so it is it is it, it's just a fact of their culture so it's weird for them to be so culturally expansive in terms of sucking in culture from other societies but then they don't necessarily they're like you know ethnically they're very 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 um they're very, 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 like, um, homogenous in terms of how they are. Like, again, this is – people can disagree with us from the outside, but I do think that this is this is generally scholarly accepted stuff that you can find in most in, in most journals talking about this stuff. And me and Trevor have talked about this extensively about this. Um, but I think one of, the, one of the big things for this is that um, they do tend to represent cultures. But here's the thing. When you see Americans represented in Japanese anime, it's fucking hilarious. It and really it funny. is one of my favorite things. It's, it's like and, cowboys. And they get, they're, yeah. they're almost always football players. <laughs> and they're almost always bald. And they're almost always like... Hey, Genki does. <laughs> it just sounds stupid as fuck, and it's amazing, and I love it. But it is funny for me that, like, I do find sometimes I'll watch Japanese um, things and I'll project onto the male character or something. Like, he'll seem very, very male, and then I'll just run and I'll run into like a brick shed, like on episode five, when I realize like being Japanese is very. In, is in very intrinsic to his identity, and I didn't realize that because he was just such a like standardized character. Mm -hmm. It's, it's right, been, also, there's like, there's like cultural, there's like a cultural, like, uh, I don't know, mine that I've run in before where stuff like stuff like that's happened. Well, there's a very interesting video, um, where this guy went around Japan and asked people what they thought about, um, the kind of controversy over Scarlett Johansson being cast as the lead in Ghost in the Shell. They do not care. They do not care. <laughs> they do not care. They, they, they completely think she's bright for the role and she's a yeah. you know famous actress and it makes sense. And so, you know, to go back to my whitewashing thing, there's certainly an interesting thing of, again, that exchange of culture where... It's it's easier, I think, for them to appropriate American culture in weird ways, even when it gets sometimes racist or weird or gross. Sometimes um, it, it's it's often more comical and fascinating. Whereas here, it, it, I think, because we have such a long history of bad appropriation, especially in film, that I, we... that is the main thing about this movie for me. Is the appropriation? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, there are a couple things I want to talk about there. Like um, the framing device, one of the framing devices for this movie, besides the the whole story, it being about stories, a story about stories, is the uh, the Obon Festival, which is the most, like, it's like Thanksgiving in Japan. That's when yeah. everybody's going home. Yep. The transit in the entire country is blocked up with people traveling to see their relatives, and they do. They, like, honor the dead. 
and that festival. And that acts as kind of the framing device of this movie. And it's just really odd to me trying to picture what it would be like for a, J a Japanese audience seeing the American interpretation of that because we don't have anything like that. Um, you know, it goes beyond just a simple funeral, right? Because it's something you do yearly for all your ancestors and it kind of ties back into the whole um, theme of familial confrontation that drives the plot in this movie. And the, the essence of it for me was that in the beginning, Kubo doesn't understand how the festival works. Like, he expects some sort of magic to uh, allow him to speak to his father. And by the end of it, he understands that it's his memories that actually, like, make that magic happen and give the ritual meaning. Even Even though it's kind of undermined by the fact that he has actual magic that shows them. <laughs> well, right, but it's they're... like a different kind I mean, of... I, I mean, yeah. I, I agree. I, I'm sorry. I'm making a joke. I'm making light of what you said, Trevor, but you're absolutely right. It's okay. I'm, I'm being very sobering. I'm putting on my academic hat right now. I don't know if anyone... No, no, no. Well, I thought it's the good. reason that Kubo... Like, the, the original ceremony didn't work for Kubo was because his father wasn't actually dead. I thought... Yeah. Correct. And I, I mean, I, I thought correct. that was why... I didn't see it that way. That's interesting. Because, I mean... Well, I mean, I think... The ceremonies... I think both are true is yeah. the issue is like both he is correct he is correct and you are correct as well he, like kubo has magic that can present individuals but the important thing is the memories like the fact that kubo would even use it in that context to defeat his grandfather is because he recognizes the force and power of the memories which is why he's able to summon them at the end at all so well, i he do doesn't think have it any is memories both. of his father at the beginning and he does trevor's interpretation end. is i mean i mean the nice thing about it is that we're not going to know one way's right or the other they're both equally right and be both equally possible no, that's but you can see it either way. I agree with you, Bobby. I'm not disagreeing with either of you because, Bobby, you could see it the other way as being more important from like a mechanical standpoint. Yeah, mm. it's just, I mean, the whole ceremony kind of reminded me of like Dia de los Muertos um, mm -hmm. like in, his, in Mexican culture and stuff like that. So, I mean, I thought the real reason that it, it wasn't, you know, shining through was because, you know, his father wasn't actually dead, which made a lot of sense to me when they had that reveal of, oh, you know, Beatles actually your father. That then that reveal actually had some meaning to me because otherwise I found the actual reveal of this is your father, this is your mother. Oh gosh, we're all in the same room to be kind of hollow. And I don't know if I'm the well, only one who felt that way. You are not the only one that felt that way to begin with. But, I mean, it was a little bit hollow, especially since Monkey is obviously the stand. Monkey from the beginning is, is the metaphorical standoff, standoff for his mother. So, for me, the whole time, like, I was like, why did we have to make it clear that she's his mother? And the reveal she, of he, Beetle as the father was so anticlimactic. And I'm not sure if I'm the only one who felt that way. But I was kind of like, you're not. eh, who gives a shit? You know, it shocked like, me. I, I, I disagree. I'll go ahead and disagree. It, it caught me off guard. I did not see it coming. And maybe I'm stupid and didn't just see it. But like when it when like it connected, I, I was like, holy crap. Uh, well, holy crap. I, I didn't I actually didn't see it coming either. But I feel like uh, this goes back to when Bobby was saying that there wasn't enough gravitas at his death. It didn't really have enough time to sink in. That's fair. Yeah, that's that is fair. That, like from learning that he's her father to his death is like I don't know, like thirty fucking seconds. Yeah. I don't know what the actual time is, but it's I very quick. It you was, get, it you was get the idea. It was very <laughs> that's gonna be a like someone's gonna correct me in the comments. They're just gonna be like, ah. It yeah, was just forty five seconds. That whole moment didn't have enough time to have any sort of emotional weight. The actual reveal of oh, Beatles, your father, didn't hold any emotional. 
weight to it and then he <laughs> died right afterwards so i mean it's like i didn't ever have an emotional stronghold to that character from the way he was developed from the get-go from the onslaught of the film he was just kind of comedic relief and then to reveal him as an emotionally important character for the protagonist didn't matter to me as an audience member and then his death didn't matter either and i felt like that was a real disservice to the character itself because it could have been so much more if they could have waited like if they could have just given it another 30 seconds and it would have been that again, amount of time that would have done it for me i just needed 30 again, seconds i have to, i have to reel this back just a little bit because i think for me like we're we're, we're nitpicking this one scene in a great movie and i just wanted to just like say that out loud because like well, for I me like I, to some of the earlier problems like it but uh, sorry go on no, 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 but I'm just saying, like, I, I do feel like we're, we're very focused on how this movie, like, from, like, a plot perspective, how it pans out. We don't mind, like, it works on a plot level, but there's just, like, there's just this awkward moment. But and I, I think that's the difference is, like, recognizing that it just, like, all the plots and what happens is fine. The fact that I just didn't come to terms with what actually happens is what is what the issue but is. But I think we I also should like recognize, uh, sorry, Sarah, I, th I just think we also should recognize that we're judging this film differently because it's a children's movie. Yeah, disagree. but that's yeah, that's yeah, fair. That's dumb. fair. You have to do that. I know, but you we're we're just we're letting things go that we normally wouldn't let no, go. No, yeah. I disagree. No. I disagree. Okay. I, don't I, think, I don't think I mean I, I don't think I, that's I, the reason we're letting it go. I think we're letting it go because it's so goddamn beautiful. <laughs> right. It, it is. I think we're letting it go because there's so much more inherently good to this movie than than other things. And I think that's the thing is like the overall flow. It was such a beautiful experience that like I'm very very happy with it. When I nitpick this thing, I feel like oh, but I'm just nitpicking. But that's the difference between with a lot of these other movies. I was like, yeah, that didn't provide me with a good experience. And also like I think I agree. Like there's so much depth to to delve in there with the cultural context of what's happening in the plot well, i don't to think me, bobby too like uh to me bobby I'm, like i could compare this to, to jungle book and a similar thing of like where it's a technical marvel and i had my similar problems but to me jungle book was so thematically empty and not that interesting right. thematically right. gave me nothing to think about later on other than wow those animals are gorgeous like I, that's the only thing i really remember about that <laughs> film is sort of the look more than anything else this film gave me something to actually think about and ponder and i always give that this for me i'm more of a big picture kind of person so i will forgive plot issues or inconsistencies or things like that if it gives me a theme that is difficult to go I mean, we go back right. to monsters university like that it's a the movie i don't think is even a good movie in a sense but the theme is so interesting that i kind of have to give it points no. i know it's not fair but it's almost a thing, like if you <laughs> yeah, do again with we'll monsters talk about it. university we'll talk about one day. we gotta we gotta get no it's up. next week we're doing it next week no i, I mean i know what you guys <laughs> mean and week. i i totally like, i mean i thought this film was actually absolutely beautiful i saw it alone in a theater by myself and the the ending had a lot of weight to it for me and there are a lot of things that are really truly beautiful about kubo I just also think we should acknowledge that these plot holes and these problems that we have with how long things were held and the emotional weight that we give various moments, we probably wouldn't let slide if this was That's an bullshit. action film. That's bullshit. I just think I think I think that the issue is for me is like, yes, there's different there's different styles, but the issue is like 
what action film presents this ideology and has this core issues? And that's the thing is like this is Kubo steals from kind of this Pixar tradition is like what what action genre is going to present a Wally to you? What action genre is going to present these beautiful kind of experiences? And that's the thing is like this stuff is kind of presenting is kind of going about things a little bit differently and presenting things in such a way to to kind of present a whole artistic experience. That's the thing is when I go into these movies sometimes, I feel they're more artistic experiences and maybe it's to the action movies. I mean, the only way that I uh, like I might be letting this go in this movie as opposed to an action movie is if I'm looking at an action movie and saying to myself, um, you know, this is not a whole artistic experience so what what the fuck am i doing here why am i gonna delve into this one i am delving into this one because (laughs) i I just think a plot hole is a plot hole is a plot hole and we have those here you know and i think that we should a plot hole in the mona lisa is less bad than a plot hole in a stinking pile of shit but but that's i mean i I I just think that we should acknowledge that there are flaws with this film but that doesn't keep it we did i acknowledge it at the beginning i just think it doesn't keep it from being a great film i'm not arguing that it's not a great film i think that it is i just think we should acknowledge that i think okay, in well, general no, as a part of this no podcast we tend to review children's movies with a little bit of a lighter hand if you look at the reviews overall of the children's movies we've looked at we tend to review them more favorably than we do any other genre and i think there's a reason for that argue, and i think we should acknowledge that it exists no i see i disagree i think children's movies today are 100 percent knocking it out of the park more than your average action movie I think that's what we need to take into mind. Like finding Dory and like you're talking about these things. Yeah, when we do get a stinker like Jungle Book, we we fucking pan Jungle Book. We gave like, it I think, like a six. For me, I don't think I don't think this is evidence to suggest we're being unfair. I'm saying you're like, oh, this is a thing. I'm just saying like, Bobby, the rest of this movie is gorgeous. And what have we been watching the last two weeks? Sausage Party and War Dogs? Fuck that <laughs> shit sucks. I just want to say like as far as our scores go, I, I do think we are all open to like, I mean, Peter gave um, the last movie we saw a much lower score than Jack and I talked about it. We expected him to because Peter's like the eternal like optimist of the cast. He, he, he is. He is. We have ground Peter time. down into so a negative person. I, I do think we are like we. Do, there is an element of fatigue and like uh, not not an absolute standard to our scores. I think we do uh, become very subjective over time, depending on what we've seen recently. Just any time we literally can pulling up things. scores but, right now. Now no, I'm just, like, now I'm just I, super I get curious. Bobby's point. Like it's Jungle Book, we did. It's refreshing to see a movie with substance, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe maybe that's not fair, but I I would I would hone that on to this specific movie because maybe maybe it's just like the last couple ones I've just like I've been really written down with like how bad stuff has been. Yeah, we well, I been think just in general, Party, War Dog, Suicide Squad, Jason Bourne, like all of these things were really big disappointments. No, I'm just saying like the last five movies we've reviewed have been under a five overall. And I think also I will say to Bobby's point. Uh, that I'm not trying to get on you, Bobby. I'm sorry. Are you okay? Let me say I, my no, point. <laughs> let Ben say his thing. Damn it. Um, the thing I'll say is I do think it's all right to rate different movies in different ways. I mean, we were pretty hard on Secret Life of Pets because it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't didn't have Pixar level interesting plot and it didn't have uh, good comedy, so it failed on both fronts. If a, I don't care about plot holes in a comedy if it makes me laugh and it's interesting and compelling throughout. I don't care about an action movie's plot hole if it delivers interesting action and clever storytelling and interesting plot. I do care about plot holes if you're telling a film noir or a drama or something where the plot is the essential point. Uh, I think, you know, one of my favorite films of all time, Big Sleep, famously has a murdered body that no one, even the writer, knows who killed him. 
Um, but that film still works because of character and atmosphere and dialogue. And so I think it, it, movies to me are part of a whole. And so I think it's all right to say, yes, the plot doesn't work. And I am agreeing with you, Bobby, that there is problems with the film and I will rate it lower because of that. But I also think it's all right to say that this film is still successful despite those. Yeah, and that's really that's really just what I wanted to, to throw out there is that, yeah, I think this is a great film and I think we're going to rate it higher than we've rated a lot of films recently for sure and probably in the whole compendium of what we have rated because overall we all seem to have a pretty positive impression after the fact. What I do want to acknowledge is that I think we tend to be a little lighter on children's films because plot holes are acceptable and mistakes are okay, uh, and it can be see, redeeming because of the message that it has and not necessarily because of what it was. And that doesn't necessarily apply to Kubo because Kubo had a lot of really great things going for it. I just think that we should you, acknowledge as a group. Are saying that we shouldn't do that or that we should? Or no, okay I, that I think there's nothing just... wrong with what we're doing. I think we should acknowledge that there's something inherently different about judging children's films because they're not, uh, they're not for us. They're not written for us. It, nothing I, about I, I this dis- is about I'm us. I disagree. I'm disagreeing primarily because we pan, we pan the BFG. We pan the Secret Life of Pets. We pan several things that have come out. I would argue that, may, yay, we have a love of Pixar films, but and this one is just a children's film outside of that that we actually just generally have a love for. I mean, I'm sorry, Bobby. There has been there, I've been on things and just been like, holy crap! Like we gave Secret Lights of like Secret Life of Pets a five. Like, like it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Like I mean, I'm I'm just saying like I don't like you're you're seeing something here and I'm just like yes, like that was we gave Finding Dory, which a lot of people have said is perfect, a seven. Like I mean, and I and I mean I would argue that was probably the best animated film that we've seen. But like looking back through like all the stuff that we have done, we gave Jungle Book a six, which was too high for Jungle Book in my opinion. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like there's like I do feel like we've actually been pretty fair. I mean, this is my this is just my interpretation that we've been pretty fair to animated movies overall, and that truly the only ones that we've actually received well have been Finding Dory. I think there Zootopia. is. Well, we, that one no one can see because uh, that's the lost the episode. Lost cast. <laughs> oh, did we lose that one? Really? Yeah. Oh, bummer. Yeah, it's just like I it's like I know fault, that the lost episode we rated we rated Zootopia like an eight. I mean, we rated it really. Yeah, high. that's two films, Bobby. You got two films and probably Kubo. I'm just saying, like we, we I, I don't see it. I mean, I think the, there is an, a danger overall to to possibly you know overlooking or, or judging uh, children's movies on a different standard, and I, I think that is. Thank something you. For, well, I think no, it's. For I, me I don't to be disagree avoided. with the, I don't disagree with things. I just I disagree with her assertion that we're doing it. I, I'm yeah, not yeah, trying yeah. to like pan the cast and be like, oh, we're a terrible podcast. We're totally biased. No, I'm we, not saying that. We judge I know children's you're not films too lightly. Saying, uh, that's not what I'm trying to say. I just, I I'm think just it's, saying, like, I think there's I nothing think, wrong with really looking fair. at it and being like, okay, we might look at children's films a little differently. That that's all, all right. I'm trying to say. We might look at them a little okay. differently. Well, we're gonna go ahead and have to wrap up on that note. I know I'm making it. Uh, you know, I'm just taking it out, but we got people that have to run, unfortunately. Um, let's go ahead and do scores. Ben, you're up first. Yeah, so the I guess the cynic in me is more at a seven, and the, the, the child at heart, or the guy who loves these kinds of storytellings, is at an eight. So I guess just meet you in the middle and say 7.5. Uh, I think it's just beautiful. I love it like it does. I don't think it's as rich as something like Paranorman. I think I need to receive Paranorman, but that also ended just so incredibly to me in a way that I was not expecting. 
and I give a lot of credence to that. So, yeah, this film gave me a lot of flashbacks to things I love, like this show, Avatar The Last Airbender, and other great kind of monomyth stories that we just don't get enough of. And, yeah, it's made me very happy and very beautiful, and maybe in my top ten of the year kind of approaching that. But, uh, yeah, it's just a film I, I absolutely love. And I got to head out, so I will uh, talk to you all later. Do, do you have the later, bets, Jack? You got that all covered? Yeah, yeah, I got it all. No all worries. Right. We will square away. All right, and next up, Bobby. Well, despite everything I said earlier, I actually really, I really did like this movie. I, I liked the message of it. I liked the fact that the story was driven by storytelling as a whole and that it gave such weight to storytelling as a medium and how important that is. Um, I liked the... Uh, comparison between humanity and um immortality and i liked how the the movie you know picks humanity over immortality i thought that was an important distinction yeah there are plot holes there are definite plot holes in this movie but it's beautifully constructed and the stop motion is gorgeous and the voice acting is really fantastic and regina specters while my guitar gently weeps as the Thank credits roll that. at that the end of the movie exquisite. is fucking gorgeous and is worth sitting through because i did so i'm gonna get the give this movie an eight i really do think it deserves wow. it yeah i have some problems with it i really really do and i can also acknowledge <laughs> that i think i judge children's movies a little differently than i would judge other movies but I can acknowledge it, and I still think the movie deserved an eight. I'm joking. <laughs> Trevor, you're up. Uh, I'm glad you went to me next, because Bobby said something um, I wanted to touch on. Uh, I was also tempted to say ditto just after Ben's score, because I'm wrestling between a seven and eight for much the kind of same reasons that we talked about at the end of the cast. Um, um, I think what pushes it towards an eight for me, uh, which is when I'm leaning toward, I'm, I'm figuring this out as I go, uh, is that, uh, something Bobby mentioned that he chooses, um, that Kubo essentially at the end not only chooses forgiveness over revenge, but chooses mortality over immortality. And that's something we didn't really get into a lot because frankly there are just so many like themes and different cultural references packed into this movie. Um, and uh, something I kind of want to talk about a bit more. I'm going to maybe write a blog post about it. We'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, just the the level of... Uh, I do I do uh, pretty much agree with, as, as you said, Jack, it pretty much comes down to connective tissue is the missing thing. Um, but for me, it's such a pleasure, such a visual pleasure and such a pleasure to think about um, how the movie ties all those different themes together that uh, pushes it to Nate for me as well, I guess. All right, and Sarah... Yeah, I, uh, I'm also actually kind of wrestling between a 7 and an 8. Um, I feel a little bit, uh, Bobby, I love you, but I feel a little bit guilt-tripped now by your comment that we rate children's <laughs> movies higher. Sorry. And I'm wondering if that has anything to do with it. But uh, truly, this was a visually stunning movie. The music was gorgeous. Um, I loved um, I loved the origami art. We didn't really talk about that very much, but I thought that was just beautiful, beautiful, and a lovely little detail. <laughs> when, when she said, "There must be some scissors involved," <laughs> <laughs> that cracks me up so hard. That was one of the best jokes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. I, 
I need to give it an eight as well. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, I really just wanted this movie to be longer. One, because I was really enjoying it, and you know, I wanted to see more of the animation and hear hear more of the music and get more of the storyline, but also that would have given them more time to fill in all of these plot holes that we keep talking about. Um, but yeah, I will, I will still give it an eight for the artistry and the music and the message, and it was a really beautiful film. And uh, I'm going to round it out and give it an eight uh, as well. I really like this film. I think there's some connective tissue missing, but I don't think that distracts from the fact that it delivers a very powerful emotional punch, good themes, and there's a lot of good uh, stuff to delve into there. Um, I'm going to disagree with Bobby just on the basis. I mean, the only thing I disagree with is just that we're doing it wrong. I would argue that I am probably harsher on children's movies than is totally fair would be my perspective on myself. So may I just, I literally come from it from the entirely opposite perspective. And then I think that like, I'm, I, I, I think that I'm pretty hard on them. And then like, if they don't deliver, like sometimes I won't allow a children's movie to just be a children's movie. It has to have deep emotional resonance to be a successful children's movie. And because I think of that's Pixar why Secret now. Life of Pets did so poorly on this podcast. Exactly. And I think for me, it's like, maybe I have like my expectations of a children's movie are actually higher than my expectations of your average action movie. Um, which is, which makes it, it, it's not, I'm not like disagreeing with Bobby about this movie particularly. I, we obviously scored it the exact, same number <laughs> we're not disagreeing i'm just saying she's saying we're like we're probably underrepresenting them and i think i mean no no she's saying we're oh my god i'm getting super confused um but i think we're she's saying we're over representing them and i think we're we're actually probably underrepresenting them and how good they are because i do think children's animation specifically right now is just so much fucking better than anything else out there I think it's definitely totally allowed. I'm, I didn't. I didn't do this. I didn't do this in the. We had to get Ben out, but I didn't do this in the comments because I wanted you to go. You wanted to disagree with. No, me. <laughs> I, I. I think that. Um, I, I think that there are a lot of instances where we have let things slide in other movies that we don't let slide in animated films. I mean, it's. It's not. I'm not trying to say, like, the Movie Gang podcast as a whole sucks at, at reviewing children's films. That's not what I'm trying to say. I just think it's okay to acknowledge that they weigh differently. And they do. They, they don't... You, you let things go or you hold things more heavily because of what they are. And being a children's movie and going into it and saying, this is a children's movie first and foremost just kind of changes things a little bit and I feel like that's okay and it's not a slight against any individual cast member who rates things a certain way and it's not a slight as to us as a whole I just think it's okay we're to not taking slights at it we're no I'm just I'm, I'm truly engaging with your point and saying I think the opposite is true and we'll, we'll, we'll get into this later um <laughs> I'm sorry Y'all might you, what you don't know yourselves again <laughs> What you yes. don't know, Bobby, is that I won the bet this week, so you're just fucked. <laughs> you won? I thought I won. Oh, you're in it now. Oh, my God. No, now we have to decide ah. who won because we, we betted the same number. What, Wait, really? I need more explanation yeah, here number. about the bet. So okay. we, we bet how many minutes <laughs> All right. the film Well, we're going to get to bet. We're actually uh, going to do next week's bet. The giant skeleton stop motion thing that they constructed. 
which they okay, show they, in the okay. credits would okay. like make Trevor, it Trevor, we're gonna get to it. We're gonna get to it. We gotta do next week's bet first. Oh, before I'm sorry. we get before we close it out. No, 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 you're no, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're good. Sorry. So for next week, we are going to bet, and no one is going to say it out loud. You're going to email me on the Movie Gang Podcast Facebook thread. You're just gonna email me individually and not to everyone else, so no one else can see it. What we're going to be betting? Yeah, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a PM. Yeah, don't let anyone else see, and I'll reveal it after the fact um so no one else can see and this is why now sometimes people put the exact same bets and that's gonna happen because but it's more fair this way and life is good all right so for next week kubo and the two strings is going to uh, i think one of the interesting things is that um it had a production budget of 60 million currently the domestic total is at 24 million with foreign being 2 million so it's not uh, it's probably not being seen by that many japanese people trevor um so total right now is worldwide is 27 million I, for next week, I want to bet how close do you think Kubo and the Two Strings is going to make to earning its production budget? And by that, I mean how much money is it going to make by this time next week? So it's made 27 worldwide so far, and its budget was 60. 27 worldwide, accepting that probably it'll have a second weekend drop-off or it'll have a second weekend increase because you don't know right now. It's either going to generate a lot of money by word of mouth or it's going to secondarily have a general movie drop-off after its opening weekend. And its budget was 60? Its budget was 60. Mm. Mm. How long will it take? Oh, by, by this time next week. Right, right. Right. I am going to bet, and I have to tell my bet out loud because otherwise people are going to start sending me stuff and I'm people could claim that I'm reading them and betting off them. I'm going to say 50 million. Actually, that's that's idiotic. That's so a number. No it's going to be. It's... And so. it's high. Yeah, it's too high. Yeah. I'm going to lose this one. Yeah, you it's are. Okay. I won this week. You so already said it. It came out of your mouth. It's over. <laughs> yes. It did. I did realize I did that. That was shitty. Katie's on the couch like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> you, put, you put yourself on the spot. That's what you did. I did. You I done did. fucked and up, I, son. I did. And then I just thought about it. I was like, oh, it's going to make all the money it made its opening weekend this week. Oh, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Unless it opens in China or something weird like that, but I haven't done. Yeah, because Chinese people will love this movie about Japanese people. I'm sorry, <laughs> that was a good point. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's getting political, but everybody. Knows. Well, no, that's the thing. You, you, I, I bet we don't know how Japanese people will take this movie. We know how Chinese people will take this movie about Japanese people. <laughs> Anyways, all right, I think that's just about everyone. To clarify yep, with, with my bet, I mean, <clears throat> the number I gave you is what it's going to make in total, not it's going to make that much over $60 million. Right, correct. Okay. No, I got okay. it. I got it. You were, you were correct, Sarah. And all of us are essentially betting that it's not going to make $60 million by next week, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's this week. I'm going to go ahead and reveal. Um, we're going to try to get more people. Bobby bet $38 million. Sarah bet forty-five million and Trevor bet forty million, so those are all, those are some numbers. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, numbers. <laughs> all right. For next week, I mean, well, actually, for this week's bet, we had we have a double or nothing, so we got to figure out how to do the tiebreaker. We both get the point. So here's what happened. We bet depending on uh, how long into the movie would you see the skeleton, which is the the skeleton would be the biggest Leica production. It's the biggest stop motion puppet in history, I believe. And how long into the movie until you actually see 
that skeleton and we and a couple a lot of people bet like one minute or one second because they figured it would be in the opening credits or something along those lines so they couldn't bother showing it but it didn't show up but it showed up earlier than the final boss so it's actually effectively at exactly 43 minutes which Hell is both yeah. uh, 43 and 45 both me and trevor bet 40 minutes into the movie we would see the skeleton Son so we are both tied <laughs> So, for this week, both me and Trevor win. We have to decide who gets to close out the podcast. How do you want to do this, Trevor? Sudden death. Uh, 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 rock, paper, scissors. Wait. Right. No, that, that doesn't does, work. Was, that requires honesty. Japanese well, no, no, no. Well, no, we can see it. I'm going to turn on my camera. I'm going to turn on my camera. So, ter- Trevor, turn yours on. Okay. Okay. Uh, hopefully it won't crash. Well, we're going to try this. It's going to crash. <laughs> <laughs> And you're going to get the last word. And Jack ah, will win by default. The scheme is revealed. Yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. what I'm thinking. You're already <laughs> robotic, Trevor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, this Ready? Isn't working. This isn't working at <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, ready? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have an idea. Can Bobby or Sarah count us down? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Rock. Official rock, paper, scissor rules. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Wait, what? You guys suck. <laughs> <laughs> like a no, lot. You count down. You go like three, two, one. You count down. Is that how you, you want to no, go we're on not. one? I agree with Bobby. Bobby did it right. <laughs> yeah, you go. That's not right. One more time. Come on. Best of three. <laughs> I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it the exact same way. Whatever. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I can't see Jack. I, I see Trevor with rock and Jack with paper, I see which would mean right. Jack won. You just did the opposite as last time. God damn it. Right. I know. <laughs> I actually cannot see him. He, he's like roboting so bad that like I assume he can see me like 10 minutes before I go. <laughs> All right. That makes no sense. Whatever. Come on. One more time. Last <laughs> go. Ser- seriously? You can just take yeah, it, man. Yeah, it's best of two. You won, the fir- you won the first one. Oh, okay. Okay. okay yeah, what no, a- I yeah, don't want to yeah, take it. I don't no, like okay. to take things All from right. you. Come on. All right. Ready? All right. Here Ready? We go. Sarah, go. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Right, both scissors. I see scissors, scissors on the both. Time. God damn it. <laughs> that didn't help us at all. I'm going to figure out something new next week so this situation doesn't happen. Jack, do you have something to talk about? Let's just decide it that way because I could plug my right, blog cool. post. Well, I mean, either of us can do the anti-pot piece. I mean, the pro-pot piece. Or do you guys just yeah. want to guess a number? I'll put it behind my back and whoever's closest can get it. You're mad at me right now. I don't trust you. <laughs> I can put a number behind my back. I don't trust you for anything. All right, Wait, Trevor, on, you just on. go. What we can do is, is uh, Bobby can write down a number right now. <laughs> yep, doing it. Then... Well, we could just do one more pop paper, one more time. All we need is one more rock, paper, scissors, and we'll decide, okay? No one's listening at this point. It doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> Everyone lost interest oh, in our podcast. I'm... All right, ready. Oh, Rock, paper, scissors, scissors, shoot. shoot. To me, Trevor. it looks like Trevor won. Well, then, then he changed. Because <laughs> he's so robotic so bad. Inconsistent. Whatever, I don't care. Just take it, Trevor. Okay, goddammit. Tell you what, you can plug <laughs> this shit at the, the end point. since I'm not good at the outro itself. All I'm... right, I'll just outro it. You just do your thing and I'll outro it. <laughs> you do the Jesus hard part. Christ. I'll just rant. <laughs> Motherfucker. Oh my god. Okay, seriously, this isn't gonna be a long one. Um I just wanna talk about one aspect of this movie that we didn't really have time to get into. 
um, when I mentioned like the different themes that it pulls in from not only Japanese culture, but also Western culture that kind of pushed it to an eight for me, the whole thing and the, the, the best part of the movie for me was when Kubo's mother explains um, her backstory, essentially, and how she met his father. And like her celestial parentage, that she fell in love with someone from Earth, and she came to, and the whole time it's animated by the the paper, and just in a low key way, as opposed to what the paper's doing in the rest of the film. That's really flashy, you know, and it's just the best part of the film for me. It combines for me this really Japanese idea of um, it's called Mono no Aware. I'm putting on my academic hat, y'all. I'm sorry, but um, it's uh, the essence of it is. Um, kind of what you think about with the uh, Japanese cherry blossoms that they're only in they're only in bloom for like uh, you know a couple of weeks and then they're over it's the whole idea that um, the transient nature of life is what makes it beautiful so the idea for me that Kubo eventually decides to be mortal instead of choosing immortality um, and that his parents like descended from the heavens essentially that's kind of for me a big deal because it's blending like that Japanese idea with kind of the Western idea of like a fall from grace kind of character type thing, you know, like there's not really in Japanese religion that I'm aware of um, <clears throat> that kind of dynamic. So that was really interesting to me and what I really liked about the film. And I might write a blog post about it if I haven't gone all my thoughts out by now, which I'm pretty sure I have. So Jack, if you want to close this out, go right ahead. <laughs> Yeah, so you have been listening to the Movie Gang Podcast. Oh, man, I wish there was so much more content these motherfuckers were producing that you could go see. Oh, wait, there is. It's on the Tuscan Shed Media Network at TuscanShed.com. Go check us out there. You can go see our video game podcast, Save Point Gamecast, as well as our animation, anime, podcast, animadia. As well as our uh, uh, Game of Thrones. Oh my god, <laughs> I was rolling. It was going well. <laughs> now it's all broken. Whatever. Um, a, a Game of Thrones podcast, A Feast for Bros, where every year we go show by show and t- break down all the lore of Game of Thrones. And if you're more of a Star Trek spacey kind of guy or gal, you can go see Geek Space Nine, which is our watch, our rewatch episode series looking at uh, Deep Space Nine. So go check that out. Check. Go check those out on TuscanShed.com on the Tuscan Shed Media Network. You can also head on over to our blog and see some of our beautiful content. Most recently, uh, Bobby Pike, our own, uh, she's still a little bit mad at me, but you go and see what she wrote, which is the What the Gang has been watching on Netflix most recently, which includes reviews of both Full Jack Horseman, Seven Deadly Sins, um, Stranger Things, and Narcos. So go check that out. That's on TuscanShedMedia.com. And you can always go check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Tuscan sh- at uh, the underscore movie underscore gang or any of our other uh, Twitter accounts as well as you can go check out our various Facebook pages there. Oh my God, let this read end, please. It's going so poorly. <laughs> so from the Movie Gang podcast, this has been Jack Newman. And other people sound off. Come on. Trevor Flynn, go. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bobby Pike. Bye, guys. See you next time. Sarah, Sarah Becker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>